saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to the latest episode of the Step Back Podcast here on Fansided. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We are everywhere that you find your podcast. We come to you pretty much every week, although we may do a couple of episodes this week. We go through what happened in the NBA the previous week, but also spin it forward into the next week. We will have a guest later on in the show to talk about a couple of the teams um, that are going opposite directions right now. The Memphis Grizzlies, who as we speak, of the top team in the Western Conference and the Toronto Raptors, who, as we speak, have lost five in a row and maybe in a position where they may start to sell off players, which isn't something that they typically do. So we'll get into those teams later on. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reason Sports. That's the number five reason sports. My co-host on the Five on the Floor podcast, which covers the Miami Heat, Brady Hawk, is with me. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305. We're going to talk about Three teams in particular here at the Open. A couple of them are dealing with major injuries, one of which shouldn't be a particular surprise. Let's deal with that one first as we go to first steps. The Anthony Davis injury. Anthony Davis was playing at a really high level this season, playing like a top 10 guy in the league. The Lakers had figured things out enough that it looked like they might make a run at the play-in or maybe even potentially to a top six seed as they went forward. But as usual, whenever things are going well for Anthony Davis, there's an injury. So the projection is maybe a month. That's what Shams was reporting. It's not that this is a surprise. I think you and I kind of calculated this when we discussed how far the Lakers could go, that, okay, they're one Anthony Davis injury away or one LeBron James shutdown away from kind of sliding out of play-in position and maybe out of the playoffs entirely because – You take a look at the West. We didn't expect Utah to still be in the mix. We didn't expect Sacramento to still be in the mix. We didn't necessarily expect New Orleans to still be playing as well as they're playing. And even with Minnesota struggling with Portland playing reasonably well, it looked like there might not be a spot for the Lakers in say the top six to eight anyway. How do they survive a month without Anthony Davis? Yeah, that's the part that's tough. Like the fact that it's a month, like this isn't like a two week period where they could just kind of do one thing to survive. A month is tough to overcome. Uh, the blueprint was pretty much shown uh, in Sunday night's game where they played the Wizards. You have LeBron who scores 33-9-7. You have Westbrook off the bench, 9-8-9. You get like those type of contributions. The bigger point is in that game, they shot 41% from three. That's kind of the blueprint here. If you don't have Anthony Davis as that, that kind of rolling hub, that type of mid-range hub, if you can just find a way to, for your role players to shoot at that level, then that's kind of the answer. But will that happen consistently over a month? I definitely don't believe so. Uh, And the main issue here is their defense is most likely going to fall off the map over this next month. Like not having Anthony Davis kind of anchoring that defense, uh, it's just really going to be tough. So it really comes down to, is LeBron going to go into LeBron mode like he did last night consistently over the next month? Is that a good thing? Like it'll lead to some wins, but is that a good thing in December? I'm not too sure. Uh, but it really does come down to the Lakers role players who we've been talking about, not in a positive light all season. And here's the other issue you're dealing with. 
uh, when you're the Lakers. You're making a decision on whether or not you want to trade two future first-round picks. That has been the issue. And we've talked about Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, possible trade with the Pacers. You talk about the possible trade when they looked at Kyrie in this offseason. The whole problem was, are you willing to give up two first-round picks to give yourself the longest possible window with LeBron James to try to win a championship? Or not win a championship, but at least be competitive at this stage. I just wonder how this figures into the calculus because the way that they were playing, it looked like they could jump into a five spot into a six spot where maybe they look like a dangerous first round opponent. And then maybe you can rest LeBron a little bit down the stretch of the season. And so he's fresh for the playoffs. And that's a team that nobody's going to want to play. If you look at them as, as, as flawed as they are. Okay. If you went into a playoff series and say they were facing new Orleans in a series. Okay. Uh, you know, when they don't have that much playoff experience, particularly playing with Zion or I, I don't, I think Utah is going to slip out, but a team like Utah, somebody like that, or a Portland, you'd be like, okay, you got LeBron, you got AD, you got a puncher's chance. And so it makes sense to go trade those draft picks and get, you know, complimentary pieces, more shooters than say just Austin Reeves. Right. But if you're going to slip here without Anthony Davis over the last, over the next month, into the 11 spot, into the 12 spot. Okay, we know, obviously, that Houston, the Spurs, those teams are not going to be particularly competitive as you go forward. But if you're slipping, like, right above them, where, you know, you have to fight to claw to make the plan, I wonder if you trade the draft picks. I wonder if you just say, you know what, just take Westbrook into the offseason and just play it that way. And then you're looking at a LeBron shutdown, maybe, okay, just because – I know obviously the scoring record is important to him, but he's going to break that. Okay. You know, sooner rather than later. And then maybe you just shut him down in February or March and he doesn't play anymore this season. It feels that seismic with Anthony Davis getting hurt because I I really did feel that they were starting to figure things out. Westbrook had at least found a role off the bench. They had found some lineup combinations that worked with Reeves in there. But without Anthony Davis, I don't know how they survive the next month. So we'll see which of those teams drop out. But this is a critical injury, obviously. Now, another critical injury in the Western Conference as we get to the second of our first steps here, Steph Curry. And we saw last night, as we're speaking here, Jordan Poole did Steph Curry things, okay, against a team that's struggling. We're going to talk uh, to our guests about here in a couple of minutes. But I don't expect Jordan Poole to sustain that. And we know that with Steph Curry off the floor this year, this is a historically bad offense, right? You've talked about that. Like, as bad as the Laker offense has been, even when LeBron and AD have played during the first couple of months of the season, the Warriors have been that bad when Steph Curry is simply sitting. So what do they do? Well, you mentioned it. It's a lot on Jordan Poole. Like, the fact that he had 43 last night is kind of the blueprint, but, like, Asking that type of guy to drop 43 consistently with Steph Curry out is not a, an easy ask. Uh, I'll say that, you know, these point guard type reps are important. Like something we talk about down here on five on the floor with the heat is with Kyle Lowry out recently. It helps when a guy like Tyler Hero gets these reps because in the long run, it's going to be very crucial. So this is very important for Jordan Poole in general. Draymond Green had a big time scoring game uh, against the Raptors the other uh, last night as well. Like just the fact that you're able to kind of Juice that up a little bit without Steph is a lot is, is very helpful. If you can get Clay going, I know Dante DiVincenzo had a big game. So it's just finding the role players because that's you mentioned that the non-Steph Curry minutes. They have to find things that work with their role players. Uh, and I know there's been mixed emotions about certain guys like Anthony Lamb and his minutes that he's gotten this season. 
maybe the emergence of Kaminga in a different way, but like role players need to be figured out. And so this is a perfect time for it. Uh, so there's a lot of question marks for it, but it is Jordan Poole basically coming down to it. The only thing I'll say on that on that matter is I think from a uh, an NBA fan perspective, the, the fact that the Memphis Grizzlies uh, we're going to get into and the Warriors game on Christmas is not going to be as as shiny is kind of uh, uh, not going to be as fun. But it, it Jordan Poole is still a fun player. So a guy that's filling in for Steph is still a guy that could put up numbers and still impact winning, especially uh, when he has those nights where he's like passing the way he does. Like he had 43 and six last night. But when he gets into those passing realms, like that's when it seems like the Warriors can really take off. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Right now, as we speak, the Warriors are 15 and 16. The Lakers are 13 and 16. They are 11th and 12th in the West. As disappointing as the Wolves have been, and now the Wolves have had injuries, they're ahead of both teams. As disappointing as the Mavericks have been beyond Luka and all the frustrations there with not getting him help, they're 15 and 15 ahead of both teams. A team that was supposed to be tanking the Jazz, although they've come to earth a little bit, 17 and 15, they're in the eighth spot. They're ahead of both teams. And the Clippers, who are just starting to get a reasonably healthy Kawhi, are 18 and 14 ahead of them. And the Trailblazers, who didn't have Dame for a long period of time, 17 and 13 in the sixth spot. The Kings, nobody expected to do this, 16 and 12. Which of those teams are the Warriors and Lakers going to pass? Because if, if you're missing those guys for a month, are they in danger of, of sort of settling into these 11 through 12 spots? Because I don't expect either to fall behind the Thunder, Spurs, and Rockets. I don't. So I think this is kind of the bottom for both teams. But which of those, I mean, how can either of those teams make up any ground on the Clippers, Jazz, Mavericks, and Wolves to get into that 7 through 10 space while they're missing Anthony Davis and Steph Curry, respectively? I think the the Jazz one is kind of the one we're all waiting for to really fall off the map. Like, we saw it begin to tail off. But I think that's the one that's kind of the the easy team to look at and say that they can jump them. I think I really just don't trust the Timberwolves in general, even though they're figuring out some things. Like, not having Carl Anthony Towns hurts things. Russell's figuring some things out, but I really just don't trust them that that's a team they could potentially jump. And they're all in the same range. Like you're talking about Timberwolves 15 to 15 and the Warriors 15 to 16. So that's kind of a team to keep an eye on. But it's tough because if you're looking at the top seven teams, I just don't see them jumping them over the span. Like I feel like those seven teams are pretty much locked in. Not that I'm saying the Kings are going to be a locked in five seed, uh, top five seed in the Western Conference heading into the playoffs. But I think, in terms of heading into the new year, so in kind of midway through January, those kind of teams are locked in. So it's kind of the Jazz, it's the Timberwolves, 
And I guess the Mavericks to an extent, but I still trust Luca and that team in general to kind of figure it out in the regular season. So it's going to be tough. They're, they're going to be having to make a major ground late season. Are we looking at a scenario where we're going to have a play in Warriors? I mean, is that, I mean, is that pop? Because I, nobody wants to see that. Like if you were, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, imagine you're the Kings, right? And you make the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. We had our guy Mark Jones on last week to talk about it, right? So let's let's just say that they continue at their pace. Sabonis is playing well. Fox is playing well. Um, let's say they make an upgrade trade, which they haven't done in like forever, pretty much as long as you've been alive. Uh, let's just let's just say that you're the Kings and you end up, I don't know, you end up in a seven eight hole, which is possible. And then you're looking at a one and done game with Steph Curry or, or you've got to beat them twice. Like that is, that looks like where we're headed, right? Because I mean, let, let's say the Warriors over the next month, they play 400 ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Lakers can play that without AD, honestly, but let, let's say that the Warriors play 400 to 500. Okay. They're, they're going to get stuck in that, in that sort of 10 through 12 space pretty much for a while. Um, you know, and bar and they've had problems with their bench. We've talked about it all year. Like they were going to have to make some kind of a consolidation trade with their youth to bring in another guy there. Cause their bench has been pretty awful all year. That looks like, it almost looks like your reward for having, you know, a come up season, whether you're the Kings or the Blazers being better than expected, or maybe the jazz hang around or the wolves trading all those picks for Gobert is going to be getting stuck with Steph Curry or LeBron James in, in a play in. Right. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it could be it could be a rerun of what we saw a few years ago with the Warriors and Lakers in the play, the LeBron versus Steph Curry story. So it could be a rerun of that. But it's very possible. Like I said, even if let's just say the Jazz fall off, everybody bumps up a spot. Let's just say hypothetically, the Warriors are now at the 10th spot and the Lakers are now at the 11th spot. Uh, you're basically asking one of those teams to fall out. Like you need major fall off from like a Kings or a Blazers team. Like that's basically what you're asking for, which could happen. Like it's not out of the question. It's still early in the season. But they're definitely going to be in that range. I think the Lakers are definitely going to be battling in that playing range. Uh, and this, it depends on, I guess, how long Steph is out. Because if it's like a month period, like the AD thing, then I'm very worried in that range. And you're looking at a Kings team having to walk in into that type of game, which is just, to your point, that is just a very awkward scenario for these teams. Like the fact that. Uh, or like a Dame, like after all the back and forth Dame has had in the Western Conference Finals with Steph and, and the Warriors in general, and then it ends up in a play-in match just because of, of injuries and stuff. Like that's just tough for these type of teams. But hey, I guess the NBA would be happy because it would be fun television. Well, no doubt. I mean, it's funny because the Eastern Conference, and we're going to get into Toronto here in a second, and we're actually talk Orlando first, but the Eastern Conference is kind of playing out the way we thought. Like, you know, Boston and Milwaukee at the top, the Heat are getting together. Philadelphia and Brooklyn have kind of found a level at this stage. The West is a mess. Like, it's a totally different situation, and injuries have had a lot to do it. All right, we're going to bring on Espandier in here in a second. Uh, before we do, I want to talk about the Magic, because we haven't – we've discussed them very little on the step back, and they warrant our attention right now. Like, they look like a tanking team with with – you know, a lot of sort of interesting young pieces, uh, but they've won six in a row as we speak. And now they're, they're 11 and 20 and it doesn't seem like they're in the mindset to tank. It seems like they're in the mindset to get their young players reps. Uh, they've been, they, they look dangerous. I mean, they, 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 they can play like four guys that are six, nine or taller. Uh, they don't even have Jonathan Isaac back yet. And when they have him, they'll add another defender to the mix. They've got, 
you know, at least two guys who can play the point at this stage. They've got scoring up front. Uh, you like their roster. You like, we talked about the, the possibility of them tanking, but is it possible, you know, as we're going to talk about the Raptors here in a second, the Bulls are in a complete collapse. The Wizards are in a complete collapse. I mean, is it possible that the Magic make them make a play for a play-in? Because right now they're 13th and they are two and a half games behind Toronto. And I think you and I both expect the Pacers to drop out a little bit. They're four games behind the Pacers for ninth. Yeah, I think it's possible. Do I think it happens? Probably not because we're once again talking about sustainability this early in the season. Uh, but like you said, I really do like their roster. Like they just have so many guys. Like when you just look at the guys they play, like they can go in so many different directions with so many different play styles. Uh, but you look at the fact that they're on a six-game winning streak. For one, it comes down to Paolo. Like the fact that he's playing at such a high level. He's averaging 23 a game over the last six Uh and he shot the three really well. Like last last night, he was like playing. I think he had with six of seven from three against the Celtics in a win. Like when he's doing that type of stuff, and not all of it's spot ups. Like he's doing step backs. He's getting into a pull up. Like he's doing different things. Uh, so that stuff is really good to see. The fact that he's still able to get into his mid range. He's able to get to the rim, and he's able to have counters to so many different things. Like this isn't a, a wild thing to say because we're talking about a first overall pick. But it's still the fact that he's able to build these counters against so many different things this early on. So he looks very good. You got Franz Wagner, who's like a solid second option for a young team. The fact that he's able to do this stuff, he's averaging 21 points per game over the six-game winning streak. So uh, both of them just uh, – those are kind of the two key guys, in my opinion. I think that's a pretty easy thing to say in general just watching this team, but it's just not just them. They play a very unique play style. They play fast. They have a lot of young guys. Like you said, they have two point guards – that utilize Fultz and, and Cole Anthony who do different things. They can roll out, like you said, probably four, six, seven footers that can shoot the three ball. Like they're just a very awkward team that just works. They just work really well together in general. They're not selfish. They all play together. So I'm interested in what they can do. It just comes down to, like you said, can they crack a play in? Let's just say the Pacers fall out and let's just say the nine teams are the nine teams. Who gets that last play in spot? Is it, is it Indiana? Is it Chicago? Or is it like an Orlando team? Like that's kind of what it comes down to. And I, I think Chicago is going to sell here. So that's why we want to talk about Toronto next, because I'm curious to see what Masai is going to do. So we're going to bring on our next guest. We're going to handle – usually we do two different segments here where we, we do um, we do the high step and the misstep, kind of the team that's playing well and the team that's playing poorly. We do them in separate segments. But we're going to bring on from SDPN Sports. You can find him there. Um, used to be at the score in Raptors Republic. Espandier Baharan, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible with pronouncing. Brady knows I can't pronounce his name. So I, that, and, and it's Brady Hawk. I mean, I literally added him to the network because he's three syllables total. Uh, you do the pronunciation. No, you actually got the first name like 100% correct. Uh, Barahini, Barahini. It's all good. Bar- yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's always, it's always simpler than it looks. That's how this works. <laughs> well, you, you can follow him at just S, that's G, uh, J U S T E S. Rainy, correct? There you go. You got uh, it. Give yeah. me, give me seventy five percent. All right, so <laughs> we're we're bringing you on here because uh, you are you based in Toronto? Yeah, yeah, based in okay. Toronto. All right, so but you know what? Let's let's go to them first. Actually, I was going to go to them second, but because we're on the Eastern Conference right here, we're talking about Orlando. I look at the Raptors roster. I see Scotty Barnes in his second season, coming off a of Rookie of the Year. I watched him the other night. I thought he looked great uh, in the loss to Brooklyn. Obviously, over the last few minutes, he looked great. You've got Siakam, who was playing at pretty close to an all-NBA level uh, earlier in the season. You've got Van Vliet, who dropped 39 the other night. I know they've had injuries. Obviously, OG's injury was critical. Uh, you know, Precious's injury has hurt them. 
but but they look i mean I, I, they have a great coach um they tend to play above their talent level they can they can you know they have a lot of length defensively they haven't been very good defensively we we were talking about that on five on the floor about how their defensive rating is not where it typically is yeah. what's wrong is it is it just the injuries yeah it is a bit perplexing because when you list it out that way it kind of seems like okay this team should be performing at a higher level than they are currently um but yeah i think i think part of it is the defensive effort uh you listen to nick nurse and you listen to fred van Vliet every night and it's just the rotations aren't crisp enough they're not kind of settling into their schemes as often and as ne- like essentially they go from these lulls of all right we're gonna have our intensity in the first quarter we're gonna pick up guys at half we're gonna you know, do the X outs. We're, we're, we're going to kind of complete everything we need to, but in the second quarter, it kind of crashes. It's, it goes through these inconsistent flows throughout the game. That just is very uncharacteristic for this basketball team. Um, and you guys are right to be sort of perplexed about what this team is supposed to look like because they are supposed to hang their hat on the defense. And right now I think they're ranked, uh, I would say 17th. They've dropped all the way down to 17th. Um, and they've done it in some pretty poor fashion. They gave up 126 to the Warriors last night without Steph Curry. That That's, that's a bad, you know, kind of red herring, if you will. Brooklyn, 119, 124 to the Kings. And then uh, you guys mentioned Orlando, 111 points to the Orlando Magic and 113 to the Orlando Magic, a team that has struggled offensively. Now, I know they've kind of figured it out here over the over the last couple of games and they're on a win streak, but it's it's tough to look at this Raptors team right now and see, OK, what is the what is the solution here? What is the way that they would like to play? I had a little bit of a breakdown video kind of discussing it. It's the fact that the the, the style that they'd like to play is far too taxing. Um, they are trying to play this read and react style. It's chaotic. They are trying to cause turnovers. They are trying to win the possession battle on the offensive glass. And that type of basketball is taxing. I don't know about you guys. I I try to play in runs every now and then. And like, if you're trying to play that type of basketball, you will gas out in the first 30 minutes. It's just not, uh, it's not something sustainable. So in order to play that type of, of, of style, you need to have a lot of depth and you go back to the injuries front, losing those guys, losing even the precious Achuas of the world, the auto Porter jr, which is another guy who, who they've missed. Um, that really, really hurts you in being able to play that style at 110%, which is what they need to do in order to successfully play that style. It's, it's kind of a chicken before, what is it? Chicken before the egg type of thing, but yeah, that's, that's where they're at right now. A lot of this, and I'll let Brady come in here in a second. A lot of this sounds familiar um, <laughs> to what we cover here in Miami because, you know, Eric Spolstra has had a certain style. He's wanted to play, uh, you know, switching, pressure, that kind of stuff. Uh, they've had their own depth issues. We, we've talked kind of all year about it's been hard to put a finger on what's been wrong with the Heat because we can list a lot of things that have gone right individually. Bam Adebayo's taken another step. Uh Tyler Hero has taken another step. Jimmy right. Butler is still playing at a high level. Uh, Caleb Martin has been really good in his role, in his role, even though it shouldn't be his role. And 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 yet we then, but then the Heat bench, which was a huge strength last year, has been bad. Okay, they've been because they took Tyler off of it. They didn't get Victor Oladipo back until recently and until last week. I don't Brady and I haven't looked at the numbers uh, the past few days, but they were 29th in the league in bench scoring, and so you can kind of see a trickle down the roster. Eric Spolstra has been uh, stubborn at times with this stuff, but 
At other times, you've seen him kind of subtly make changes, even though he doesn't announce that he's making the change. Is Nick Nurse being stubborn, I guess? <laughs> I think I think uh, any good coach kind of is stubborn. You know, they're kind of stuck in their own ways. I think Spolstra has has shown uh, and I, I, maybe you guys are, are better experts on this, but like I think he has shown a, a, a rigidness that is kind of necessary, but also a fluidity in certain areas where like he's willing to do different things and try out different things. Um, I think with the injuries, and I imagine the Heat kind of feel the same way, but, you know, the, Nick Nurse has kind of been forced to play the guys that the, he wouldn't necessarily play. Malachi Flynn is, is playing a lot of minutes over these last couple of games. Delano Banton has, has been thrown in there in spot minutes here and there. So it's, it is kind of a out of necessity thing, but I 100% agree that the stubbornness comes from wanting to play a certain style and committing to that certain style they don't they don't have a heavy pick and roll offense they don't run a lot of pick and roll they try to do this dribble handoff like motion type scheme that they like to run and that can be good when you have a lot of creators and a lot of guys who can get downhill and theoretically with the raptors team like that that should work but when you got the injuries when you got guys who are laboring when also you have you have kind of guys who can't create advantages and you're throwing them into lineups with other guys who are who are trying to create those advantages for them it's a it's a recipe for disaster to be honest with you but uh yeah they've they've struggled and it's 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 perplexing it is perplexing to be like all right how does this team get it out of this funk and that's why you see a lot of you know people uh especially yesterday kind of say hey should the raptors be maybe moving the other direction should they go into you know the tank for <laughs> tank for Wemby mode <laughs> but that's also not something we talk about the heat. That's not something organizationally that the Raptors yeah. like to do. I, I want I want to get into that in a second, but I want to let Brady get into some X's and O's with you on this. Uh, sure. I, I mean, I, as you've watched them, Brady, and, and you guys can go back and forth on this a bit. What have you seen? Well, I just wanted to ask you about certain individual players because I thought it was interesting because I know Van Vliet. He's kind of turned it up as of late, but he's been inefficient throughout the season. Uh, yeah. But all of his numbers have been pretty much the same, except. The catch and shoot numbers dropped from forty three percent to thirty three percent. So, it, just in your opinion, is it just shots not falling, or is there something different you're no, different you're noticing in, in general in the offense? So, Nurse actually brought up something really interesting, and coaches don't usually divulge divulge on this type of stuff. They don't really let let people in. But he was saying how the actual arc and the angle that he's throwing it at, like the 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 shot trajectory, is kind of off off tinker. Like it's not straight. And I don't know. Look, I'm I'm not a shot doctor. I, I'm not going to claim I am. But like, I thought that was an interesting aspect. I'm not sure why he it, it, that is. He has dealt with a lot of like lower body issues over this last year. Yeah, uh, hip injuries, uh, a bone bruise to his knee, I believe, and he was kind of laboring through a groin injury to start this year. So I wonder if maybe that's what was affecting his shot early. Uh, but he's he's been finding his stride a little bit. The the last couple of games, he's been a little bit better off the catch and on the pull up. So maybe that'll turn around. Maybe it's just a shooting slump. Uh, but yeah, I look when it comes to Fred, he's a guy who really ro- relies on that jump shot. As you guys know, that is going to be the bread and butter for him. He has gotten a little bit better at getting downhill and finishing. Surprisingly, I think because the shot wasn't there, he had to kind of improvise and figure out other ways to create, uh, opportunities for himself. But yeah, it is, it is very, very jump shot reliant and he's kind of breaking out of that slump right now. I also want to ask you about Scotty Barnes kind of on that same range, because I just kind of feel like expectations is a big thing with him just because there was so much expectation ending it after a rookie of the year 
Uh, like his three point percentage and catch and shoot has gone up. Like, like yeah. some of the base numbers have gone up, except I think his attempts are just slightly up. Like there's just certain, there wasn't the jump, I guess everybody was expecting. Uh, but what, what do you think of those expectations and what is the necessary development? Because uh, I feel like one of the things is like the, the mid range area. I was looking at some of those numbers was down from 39% to 34%. So like if that shot's falling, like, I feel like that helps his, his driving game in general, because that opens everything up. Uh, and his, his shots around the rim have pretty much been the same. So is it pretty much the mid range you feel like could be that next level? And what do you, what do you feel of the expectations last year, the mid range? And that's a great question, by the way, uh, do the, do the Brady Hawk, Eric Spolster me, but um, <laughs> like in general, you know we're gonna make that a part of this show. Actually, every guest <laughs> who comes on needs to do this thing. Sorry, I got about three weeks until Eric hires him, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that that is a great question, though. I think last year that mid-range jump shot was such a good counter for him when guys like he couldn't bully guys, and now he is able to bully guys a little bit more. He's added a, some weight, but that jump shot isn't as reliant. I think. Whenever a player is trying to tinker and experiment and figure out who he is, right? He's a second year guy who's just trying to see, okay, what are the, what's the potential if I shoot this many threes a game? Or if I go ahead and try to attack uh, going right versus going left, what, what can I, what can I kind of get out of in this situation? When it comes to that and being so young and figuring that out, the expectations aspect is, is what I'm talking about here it can mess with fans' heads because they're like, okay, what kind of player is he trying to be? I'm so confused. He's not doing the things he was doing last year. And even when he does the things he was doing last year, he's probably not doing them as well as he was doing last year. But he's added this three-point shot and maybe the playmaking has gotten better. Oh, but the defense has dropped off. And it's like a lot of this is him trying to tinker and figure out what he can and can't be on the court. Um, and it's it's going to be a process. I think last night he uh, he had some good stretches there. But the defense is, in my opinion, the biggest area of concern when you're talking about Scotty Barnes because he's being asked to guard the point of attack. And right now, the hips are just not fast enough. He's getting blown by. Like last night, he had a straight line drive. Um, blown. <laughs> he got blown by by Clay Thompson. And coming off two injuries, that mm. that's not the type not of guy. Great. Yeah, it's not great, right? So I think that's the biggest concern. Offensively, though, I think the mid-range jump shot will get back once he... Once he sort of figures out what are his go-to moves, what's the spot that I like to work and operate from most? Um, and, you know, funny enough, I think he's taking a lot from Pascal in that situation. He's he's learning a little bit from them. So I want to get to the big picture question here with the Raptors. Uh, we were touching on a little bit before we get to the Grizzlies. We talk about how the heat won't tank. Like I, I've, you know, when they were three games under five, now they're four. Now they're a game over 500. They're sort of moving forward. They got some bad teams on the schedule. We expect the heat to make up some ground here as long as they stop losing to the Spurs and the Pistons at home. Uh, but when I talk to heat officials, they're like, you know, we don't tank. We're terrible at tanking. You know, we suck at it. That was, that was a quote from a high level, you know, heat official. So do the Raptors though. Like they're not, it's not, yeah. it's not really part of their culture. Um, you know, I, I think those two cultures are the most similar in the Eastern conference, probably in terms of developmental development players, the way that nurse and Spolster handle their players, but also kind of the way that Masai and Pat think, do you think there's any way that they would go the other direction or, or, or is it maybe a repositioning trade? Maybe just, you know, you consolidate some players, move some players in, move some players out. Because right now they don't look like a top four or five seed in the East, but they're also not bad enough to kind of, you compete know, compete with the other, yeah. compete with the others to tank. Right. So they're, they're kind of stuck in that place. You don't really want to be. So which, which way do they go? I think that's an interesting question, but 
it, okay, so look, let's let's look at their next uh, six games to close out this year. All right, they fit they f- at Philadelphia, at New York, at Cleveland versus the Clippers versus Memphis and versus Phoenix. That's six games against playoff teams and teams that that's going to make their decision for them, isn't it? Yeah, like- right, right. And then and then when you continue the year, you got at Indiana, which you, they're feisty. They're gonna they're gonna play hard every night. Uh, Milwaukee, New York. Portland, and then you have a couple of easy games against Charlotte. That's nine straight games, 10 straight games of playoff teams, teams that are fighting for playing spots, teams that are feeling it and, and kind of playing well. It is tough for me to have this discussion without them going through that stretch. Like, let's see how they look after that 10 game stretch, and then maybe we can reassess where they're at. In terms of your question right now, I think the two guys that jump out in terms of guys they might reassess and look at look at options to move is because of their free agency coming up. And that's Gary Trent Jr. and Fred VanVleet. Um, I think Fred is is a massive locker room guy. He's a guy that has been sort of this torchbearer between Kyle Lowry and, and this new generation. Uh, he's the guy that connects Nick Nurse to the rest of the team. He's kind of the liaison, if you will. Um, so it's it's tough for me to envision them letting Fred go for unless it's a very, very good price. But I could imagine Gary Trent Jr. is a guy that they're moving off of just because of money purposes, just because they probably think there's some value there. And that's where the retool comes. Now, a full blown rebuild, something where they decide to, you know, let's let's build around Scotty Barnes and, and OG Ananobi and we'll pressure Sachua and let's let's try to figure out what else we can do. I think that would require a nosedive that I don't think will happen here in the next month or so. Um, You're basically talking about trading Pascal, right? Like that's, yeah, yeah, that's what that would, they're not trading OG, right? No, no, no. I don't think they would. I think, I think just because OG is what, 24, 25 years old, uh, Scotty is 21. uh, So it's, it's tough to envision them moving those guys for literally anything, but I think push comes to shove. If, if things go really, really bad, then they probably assess their options with with Pascal and Fred. And in terms of like being being willing to tank, um, Masai has this quote that a lot of Raptors fans hang on and it's playing for what? Right. Play in for what? They don't they don't want to be that middling team. And I think in certain seasons, you saw it in the Tampa Bay season, they're willing to sacrifice or just call it a day when it comes to a season if they know that they're going to be a middling seven, eight, nine, 10 play in spot type of team versus, Hey, we could get a lot high lottery pick and maybe retool that way. And obviously it worked for them. They got Scotty Barnes, right? So do they, do they want a Kyle tour? Do they want Kyle back? <laughs> a reunion Kyle tour. <laughs> I mean, this has come up on five on the floor. So I, I have to ask the question. Like, yeah. I mean, would that even interest that? Cause it, it hasn't, look, it hasn't been perfect for Kyle in Miami. Like, uh, yeah, like, I get like, it. Yeah. Last year there were, you know, he was dealing with a lot of personal things. Um, but he just hasn't seemed happy, honestly. Like it, it has reminded me of uh, when Dwayne uh, went to Chicago and Cleveland uh, at the end. And, you know, there were reasons you thought that the, the Chicago thing would make sense because he was from there. And then the Cleveland thing, he'd be playing with LeBron again. You thought, well, Kyle be playing with Jimmy here, but it just, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't look happy unless he's playing with four G leaguers. Like that's, that's basically, you know, <laughs> the way it's looked for. So no interest in that. We can't. I mean, I, I look, he said it when he left. He's like, I'll retire a Raptor. I'll sign a 10 day if I have to. So I, I'll just wait until then. <laughs> you, you guys let, I'll let the, I'll let the contract run out and then I'll, I'll wait until then. If that's yeah, all right. Well, the, the, I think the heat are waiting for the contract to run out. Not that he's been bad, not that he's been yeah, bad, but it's it. just, it just hasn't been what they, I think anticipated in terms of him 
embracing the whole thing. Uh, you know, when you get you, you get comfortable in a place, it's tough. All right, let's switch over because you just wrote a piece on the Grizzlies and particularly about uh, Jaron Jackson uh, Jr. and his impact coming back. I mean, the Heat went into Memphis uh, without uh, no Bain, who's been who was the most improved player candidate before. Uh, before he got hurt and then uh, and no Morant that night and they still got drilled. Uh, it just it, it just feels like they they play for each other. Um, they they play hard. Uh, they just run bodies at you. Taylor Jenkins seems to have a really good grip on his roster. But you focus specifically on the impact that Jaron Jackson uh, has made defensively on them. Yeah, I, I mean, look, he is uh, he is shutting off any type of downhill actions that other teams are trying to get to any pick and roll stuff that that he's just playing it masterfully like he is containing the the ball handler while also making sure that he's like has a little bit of separation so that uh the the lob threat doesn't kind of get behind him he's making sure that you know he's one step ahead on the help like he's rotating over so quickly he's using his arms he's fouling less uh which is a big part which has always been a huge part of jaron jackson's game is that like he can't stay in games because he fouls too much he's do he's at a career low in fouls this season so far um the grizzlies were i believe 21st in defense when he returned they are now sixth in defense in the time that he is uh, came back since I believe November 15th they are the second best defense in the league he has the number one block percentage in NBA history at 12.4 I will repeat that he has the number one block percentage in NBA history at 12.4 the only guy who is even close was Manute Bull and I believe that was like 10.8 in 89 eight, some, something crazy like that so the what what he's doing is essentially just being a stopgap for anything that the Grizzlies want to do. He is stopping anything. He is plugging holes on defense, and it's it's good because look, we've we've seen John Morant have issues defensively at the point of attack. I think that's a concern for them moving forward. But when you have a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. that can clean all that up, you elevate the ceiling of your team. You you kind of you know where you're at defensively because of him. Uh, and that that makes them a, a surefire serious contender in my mind is because if he's operating like that on the defensive end and he's also giving you that that floor spacer kind of stretch five type that he can be um, this ceiling of this Grizzlies team elevates to another level. So that's, I, that's I had them. I had them before the season as my pick uh, not to come out of the West, but to win the West in, in the regular season. I wasn't <laughs> sure about their playoff prospects. I'm actually going to put Brady on the spot here and then let him jump in with you uh, before we close. You can only have one Bam or Jaron Jackson Jr. Defensively forget the offense. Cause obviously Bam has made progress offensively, but it feels like for those actually paying attention, those would be the two candidates for defensive player of the year. Um, instead of giving it to Marcus smart or some perimeter guy, just cause it sounds good. Um, Brady, you can only have one take one. We're going to clip this by the way, and put it on five on the floor. Afterwards. <laughs> well, I would say, I would say this season, Jaron Jackson has been better defensively just in the short stint, but I'd say overall, I think I would still go with Bam. but I, I think that's maybe that's a little biased just because I've watched Bam every game defensively. And I just see the different things, but they're so similar in the way the, the, there's edge to Jaron Jackson's game where the stuff that you were just talking about. And it's the fact that he does it in drop. Like a lot, yeah. we all often think about the switchability of guys like him, but he's doing it, cleaning up things, containing, which we see Bam do occasionally, but Bam is not a rim protector. He's not a guy that's going to be with that crazy stat you just threw out about block percentage. That's not Bam. Uh, but I just feel like consistently what, what Bam can do with switchability uh, and weak side and all of that stuff. I think I trust it more altogether, but 
Uh, Jaron's right there. And I think he deserves a lot of credit. And I, I was going to ask you, do you think, cause you kind of hinted at it, but is he going to be in the conversation defensive player of the year? Like at the top of it, like not just in the conversation again, because we saw last year, we get, you have a Marcus smart type guard that gets thrown in the conversation. Like does he have to consist? I think it's just games played. I would probably say is probably the biggest thing for him, but I, I think he's going to be at the top. Yeah, I, w- I would say it is like yeah, I think he's played twelve or thirteen games so far this season. He if as soon as long as he plays, you know, seventy plus, if he can get to seventy plus, that will be enough for him to win Defensive Player of the Year. I think I think he should have won Defensive Player of the Year last year. I'm sure you guys have your arguments for Bam. I think that's that's a fair argument to have, but I think he should have won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, to answer your Bam versus Jaron question, I would also take Bam. Uh, I think the switchability, the the fact that he can guard out in the perimeter slightly better than Jaron is what I would go with as a guy who, if you're, you're building a defensive team around, it's Bam. Um, but in terms of this season, it's going to be a fun race between those two. I really have no idea how it's going to go down. But yeah, Jaron, as long as he plays enough, he'll he'll be he'll be in in the conversation, in consideration. All right, one last one here for us, Foundier, and we appreciate it, uh, him joining us. You definitely should check out uh, his work. Uh, my single biggest concern with the Grizzlies as a championship contender is does John Morant make it to the finish line uh, because of the way that he plays? It, it reminds me in a lot of ways of Dwayne Wade, early career, um, although I think it's even more pronounced. Okay, I mean, Dwayne you know, took took Anderson Varejao's life, among others. Uh, but but it wasn't like he was trying to dunk on everybody all the time. And I, I had a conversation with Gary Payton one year after uh, Gary, after I think it was before Dwayne retired, but it was after well, long after Gary had retired. And Gary said he told Dwayne when he played with him, uh, you know, in, in 05, 06, they won a championship together. He was with him in 06, 07. He said, you need to stop this. Like, you're going to feel this later on in your career. Like it's going to your knees. And he was right. I mean, Dwayne went through a, a long period of time where he struggled with his knees. He had pre-existing injuries, uh, went all the way back to college. But I, do you think Johnny's to tone it back a little bit? Because I mean, they, they play really well without him. That's one of the weird things, but they're not winning a championship without him. So, so how, how does, where's that balance? I think that balance comes with him developing a perimeter shot a little bit more. He's done it so far this season. Uh, I don't know what the exact numbers are. I have to pull it up. But I, I think him improving his outside shot will make him a little bit comfort- more comfortable to not have to, you know, kind of like kamikaze <laughs> attack the rim, right? Um, I, I think that's the way to go. Like, if he can develop a little bit more of an outside shot, the floater is impeccable. So I think that's something else he can counter with. But you're right. I, I like... Another guy that it kind of reminds me of is Allen Iverson and the way that his body sort of deteriorated. He was just throwing himself at guys. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's definitely Rose. a concern. I mean, or Derek Rose, or, yeah. Or Derek Rose. I mean, there, there's a long history of this. Like some of it's freak stuff. Like with Derek, his knee injury was kind of a freak injury. But with yeah. Ja, it seems almost directly related all the time. To, to him trying to posterize everybody. And I, I maybe maybe developing an outside shot will help, but now that he's got an elite backcourt mate too, I don't feel like he needs to do that all the time. Like, I, I think they're better than Phoenix. I, I think they beat Phoenix in a playoff series. I think they're better than Denver, but I think Jaw's going to miss time. That's that's my issue with it. I wonder if, and this is this is not a short-term thing, but more of a long-term thing. If, if he does end up losing some of his athleticism, does he end up deteriorating like an AI, like a Derrick Rose or whatever, or does he end up staying consistent because of the fact that I think he's a great playmaker. I think he's a great guy in the half court that can kind of uh, not only get downhill, but just, 
he's he's a smart passer. He knows what he's doing in terms of finding guys and getting open looks. I wonder if like his game will translate better as he gets older versus an AI or versus a, a maybe a Dwayne Wade. Although I well, think just, well, well, but I think too. I think yeah. Dwayne is a good example for that because Dwayne True. had yeah. a second act in his career because he did have an old man game. He he right. figured out how to play the angles. I don't think anybody was better, but people who watched Dwayne in the second half of the career kind of from last year of the big three, sort of when the knees were not right from Oh three, you know, from 13, 14 on don't, and didn't watch him closely in Oh eight Oh nine. Okay. Or Oh six. Like don't really, he was a completely different player. I, I don't know that Ja is going to become that. I'm a little concerned. He's going to be more like Rose, honestly, um, that there's going to be one injury that he can't come back from right away. We've seen Derek have a second act, but it's not what it was supposed to be. So yeah. there, uh, before we let you go, uh, who are you picking to come out of the West then? It, that's tough. I mean, honestly, you could pick five different teams and make an argument for them, and that's the hardest part. Um, I really do think it'll come down to which one of those teams makes an extra move, gets that one guy to, to kind of cement them and, and go from there. I know it's going to sound wild because they're out of the playing race right now, but I still somehow trust the Warriors to do this and figure it out. It, it sounds crazy. I understand. And you guys were talking about it before uh, I jumped on here. But I, I think, look, depending on how far they slide and how how they can kind of figure things out without Steph, if they can get him back and they're at a sustainable level and get to a spot where they're not in the play-in and they're maybe at the six seed or a five seed or whatever, I could still see them doing it. And it's just because I had the same doubts about San Antonio when I was growing up. Every year I'm like, no, 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 there's no way. No, this is the year. This is their old. They, they can't do it. And I've learned my lesson with the Spurs. I'm going to not doubt the Warriors and and say it's it's Golden State. But it sounds well, crazy to say that right now. Well, with the Spurs, it depended if it was an even year or an odd year because they they, they, <laughs> they only they only won in the odd years. The, the right, even yeah. years, they slipped. They always lost in the second round. The, the odd years, they, they won the championship. That's typically how that thing went until it got to the big three era and then that changed. Well, Spider, we appreciate you taking the time with us. Everybody, make sure you check out his work. Uh, Brady, thanks for joining, and we will be back. We're going to do an episode later in the week. We might dive into the Nuggets uh, a little bit then. Have a good week, everybody, and great holiday.